It's a pleasure to be with you here this evening. I appreciate your interest in the Word of God and in the subject of children. We're going to be talking tonight about early child training. Tomorrow night we're going to be talking about some things that relate more to older children. We're going to be talking about avoiding parenting pitfalls. If you are a parent, you can look back as I can and see I've made a mistake here, I've made a mistake there. And whether you're parents or not, we can look back at our lives and see that we've made mistakes. Part of the reason we're here is to learn and to grow. And when we see mistakes, correct them. Now, let me just say this in advance. One of the things that's important is being able to apologize even to our children. Uh, sometimes my children have been right and I've been wrong. And the fact that I'm older than them doesn't mean that I don't need to apologize about that. Part of what being human is, is taking accountability and realizing and admitting when we're wrong and growing and, and bettering ourselves. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're going to talk a little bit later about the importance of that first word. Train up a child. It's not just control, it's train. It involves some control, but if all we do is control, we fail. When you've heard parents say, and their attitude toward parenting is, you're not going to do that as long as you're under my roof, that's woefully inadequate because they're not going to stay under your roof. What we need to do is train our children so that they behave themselves while they're under our roof, while they're under someone else's roof, and when they establish their own roof. This is truism. The book of Proverbs is full of truisms. You might find occasions when there are exceptions to some of the things. For instance, in Proverbs 15.1, uh, where it says, soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. Is that generally so? Might you occasionally see an occasion where it works the other way around? I wouldn't recommend trying it, though. But this is what is generally so, and we need to focus upon it. You will get what you expect. If you expect your child to throw tantrums, he probably will. If you expect him to be dishonest, he will. If you expect bad attitudes, you will get it. But if you really expect the opposite and train for the opposite, you will get the opposite. Much of the secret is in raising our expectations. It's the difference between modeling ourselves after the world or looking to God and His Word and choosing the responsibility to be holy as He is holy. If we choose to just be like the world and accept mediocrity and worse, we'll expect failure and we will get that. So there's our text. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's what the Bible says. Judith Harris wrote a book several years ago in the 90s, late 90s, and it asked the question, do parents really matter? It was reviewed by one of the national news magazines. I don't remember if it was Time or, or Newsweek, but they reviewed it. And I was glad that it wasn't a completely favorable review because uh, it didn't need to be. Her position, when she wrote this book, was that parents don't matter. She said, your children will turn out to be what they will be based on two things, neither of which is you the parent. She said, your children will be what they're going to be based on genetics and their peers. There's their genes, and then there's the kids they associate with, and you have nothing to do with it. She did say there were some things that you could do. Because they're going to be controlled by their peers, she said, you need to make enough money to live in the best neighborhood, to be in the best school district, so that they can have the best peers. And because appearances are important, you need to make enough money to dress them in the latest fashions so that they will be ex ex accepted by their peers and cough up money, of course, for orthodontia or plastic surgery if necessary. Other than that, you're pretty much done. I thought about that, and to an extent, I'm afraid in some cases she's right. That's not how it should be. 
But I believe there are a lot of children in this country right now that are what they are because of their genetics and because of their peers and because of our media culture and entertainment culture in generally, and not very much because of what their parents are, because the parents are not training the children. You train your children, and that makes a difference. But if you don't train them, if you don't spend time with them, if you and I are so busy doing what we want to do, pursuing our goals, and spending no time with them, then why should we expect that that's going to have an effect? I want to give you two illustrations relative to time. How many of you, by show of hands, put in a garden this spring? Now, if you planted the seed and you don't do anything else until harvest time, what are you going to get? You're going to get a lot of crop. You're going to get a lot of weeds. When you see somebody with a really nice garden, it's not all weedy. There's beautiful plants and, and, and all, you know, the kind of people that are always giving you squash, the, uh, that's somebody that spent some time in their garden. They're just planting the seed and then 20 years later wondering what happened in tending that garden. Also, I want you to think about the difference between a cat and a bird. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, right after the verse, remember when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment of all? This is the chapter that Jesus quoted from. He said in verse 4, that the Lord your God is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That's the parent's job. A cat that is born this spring, a kitten, how long does it take before it's a cat and on its own? Not very long at all. How about a bird? A bird that was, say, a robin that hatched in an egg here a few weeks ago. Within a few weeks, he's what? He's on his own. He doesn't need his parents anymore. He knows how to fly. He knows how to eat a worm. He's gone. How has God made children? Can a human baby survive on his own after six weeks? They're dependent on us for a very long time. That gives us time to train them because a human being is a lot more complicated than a cat or a bird. We need to use that time. And unfortunately, for a lot of people in our culture, that time's not being used. It's being used for everything but child training. And children are growing up not being trained. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers are to raise their children in, nourish, uh, in nurturing and admonition of the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 5 says that children are a gift from God. Blessed is he whose quiver is full of them. Titus 2, 3 through 5 mentions a resource that I want to point out just for a moment. The Bible doesn't have, there's a lot of things in specific the Bible doesn't spell out about child training. But it does say in Titus chapter 2, let the older women train the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, be keepers at home, chaste, pure, etc., etc. There's generational knowledge that's very valuable. If you're a young mother and you've had your first child and there's some things you don't know, but, and what should I do here? Ask an older woman who you respect. Don't ask an older woman who's done a, a very poor job with her children. Don't ask an older woman who has, has neglected her children. Don't ask an older woman who has abused her children. 
Find an older woman who loves her children and they love her, and she's done a good job, and you can see the wisdom in what she's done, and you can go to her with all sorts of specific questions that will, that will be helpful to you. One of the things that's important in a child is the word no. Now, I want you to think about it. What are the first two words that your children learn? Yes, then in a bunch of the cases, the two words that that baby first learned were mama and no. Both of those words are really important. Mama is and the word no comes up a lot because the baby wants to do some things that are pretty foolish and dangerous sometimes and gets told no. I want you to think about from a biblical standpoint of view the importance of that word no. I've heard on the radio one time I heard a man, I think it was maybe a sports show, and they were discussing, he was discussing a child that he dealt with later in sports. who was just a terrible kid. But when he was little, he was at a party. And this is back when they had vinyl records. Some of you kids, you can ask your parents or grandparents what those were. But there was uh, a kid went over at this party, and he just took the needle, and he just scratched it right across the record. Well, this man stepped over. He said, no, no, don't do that. child's mother stepped in. We've decided that he will never be told no. Well, of course, he had to deal with this kid when he was older. And you can imagine what a horrible person that would be. Moms, if there's anybody here with the attitude that that would be doing your child a favor, you might buy in to the belief that your child is the center of the universe. And if you do, your child will buy into that, but the rest of us aren't going to buy into it. State troopers are not going to buy into that. His bosses are not going to buy into that. The people around him is not going to buy into that. His wife is not going to buy into that. Her husband, this is a foolish thing to do. So no is one of the things that a person needs to be able to be told and needs to understand even before they understand why. I want you to think of examples. Genesis chapter 2, God has created man, and God has created, is about to create woman, and he gives man rule in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. What is that rule? This tree right here, thou shalt not eat of it. Physically, how mature was Adam? Did he look like a baby or did he look like a grown man? I presume he looked like a grown man. Emotionally, wisdom-wise, experience-wise, how mature is Adam at that point? He's less than 24 hours old at the point when he's given the rule. Uh, and then the woman's cred. And he's told something. What is it? It's a no-no. See this tree right here? No, no. No, no on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then what Adam and Eve ended up doing? They do that. Children of Israel coming out of Egypt. There were some, sometimes people think the Ten Commandments are the greatest laws. Um, that's a popular conception among Seventh-day Adventists. They're not. Jesus, when he was quoted, asked, what's the greatest law? He didn't quote one of the ten. He quoted Deuteronomy 6 because it's, on a, it's higher. It encompasses that. He quoted Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus about loving your neighbor as yourself. Horizontally, love your neighbor as yourself. Vertically, God's greater than you. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Everything else hangs on that. But the Ten Commandments, you know what a lot of them were, especially the latter ones? No-nos. The people that came out of Israel, high spiritual moral caliber, really mature, not at all. If you had to deal with a bunch of three-year-olds, if everybody here left their three- and four-year-olds with you for the day, and you said, children, we're not going to have a lot of rules. We're just going to remember these important overarching principles. That's not going to work. You're going to have to get down within a few minutes to some specifics. No, no on the hitting. No, no on the As we mature, we can grasp those bigger things. But a lot of what the Israelites need to be reminded of was no, no on the killing. No, no on the adultery. No, no on the stealing. 
And just as Adam and Eve and the Israelites coming out, our children need to learn that no. And they need to learn a respect for and a compliance to the prohibitory no. And they also need to learn that they can never give a defiant no. There's a lot of power in that word, and they learn that. And so what some children then are inclined to do, have you ever seen this? You ever seen a child look to his mother, his mother tells him to do something, and he goes, no. Don't tolerate that at all. He has to learn that when he's told no by the father or mother, that is it. And he is not in time, he does not, uh, it is not his right to give a defiant no. Those are two different things. However, if you don't mean it, don't say it. Good parenting is not measured by how many times you say no. Mom, can I play in the street? No. Mom, can I have a rattlesnake? No. Mom, can I have fun? No. Mom, can I breathe in and out? No. That's not good parenting. There's a lot of things that need to be yes. There's a lot of things that can be yes after you've done this. There's some things that need to be no. I had a friend, and he, it was really frustrating. This was in Alabama. And I remember in high school, he wanted to slap his mother. This is really sad, moms, but this is true. He said, the only reason I don't just smack my mother, slap her, and that's how much he despised her. He said, because I know what happened when my dad got home. And that's just sad. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. That was a horrible attitude that he had at the time. But she contributed to that horrible attitude. Because she would be, no, no, no. And then he would argue and argue and argue, no, no. And he would argue and argue and eventually, well, and then, okay. Don't do that. Let's yay be yay. Let's nay be nay. Listen, I mean, there might be some occasion where you get some more information and say, oh, I didn't realize this in that case. But if you establish a precedent where you're just always saying no, and then they, you know, argue and argue and argue till you give in, that's detrimental to the child and the whole concept of authority. Don't do that. Teach them to obey no. That's an important foundation for early training. If you do that with your young child, a great deal of your job has already been done. If you have trained a young child to absolutely respect it when mother says no or daddy says no, and that they can never defiantly rebel and say no, that they're not going to obey, your job, to a great degree, degree is already established. And you have set a precedent for their later training. Part of the reason, don't feel selfish when you require your child to obey you. You're helping him learn or her learn self-denial and respect for authority. And it's preparing that child to be able to deny his or her will and submit to a far more important father. You're not being selfish when you train your child to obey. You're doing what God said to do, and you're doing a great favor to that child. We're going to talk, start talking about some specific pitfalls here. We're going to move through these very quickly. If there's some questions about them later, we can go back and talk about them. Uh, I may tell a story or two about a few of my kids. There, You can't see them very well, but there's six of them are mine, and then the grandchild is belongs to my uh, daughter who lives up here in Kentucky with her husband, um, Brienne. I'm going to particularly tell one story about her. She's over there on the far left. I've made plenty of mistakes with my children. My children made mistakes, and dealing with some of those mistakes is is what discipline and correction uh, is about. But as is mentioned, having children. It, the first time I was ever asked to speak on family and child training, I was 21 years old. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids, and I rode my motorcycle there. Uh, but I based it on Proverbs. And so a lot of what I said then is what I'm going to say again tonight because those principles in Proverbs are still there. 
There's April, there's Adam, there's Brienne, there's TJ, there's Zach, who's here tonight, Lucas, and there's my granddaughter, uh, Layla. Mistake number one, failing to discipline. And if you've ever been to Walmart or the grocery store, you know what we're talking about. There's a lot of parents out there that just do not discipline. Look what the Bible says. He who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 13, 24. Let me make this point here. We'll hit it again later. We're not talking about abusing children. We're talking about discipline for the motive of love. If you've been to Walmart or you've been to the grocery store, you've also probably seen some abusive parents. The motivation in this text is what? Do this out of love. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. If you're not in control of yourself in your own anger, get control of yourself before dealing with your child. Don't abuse your child. Discipline your son while there is hope. Don't desire his death. Proverbs 19, 18, 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Do not hold back discipline from the child, although you strike him with the rod. He will not die. Proverbs 23:13. I know a girl, her brother told him one time, he said, haven't you figured it out? The more you cry, the shorter the spanking. And so it's because they're making a lot of noise. Uh, doesn't mean... That uh, uh, Proverbs 29:15, the rod and reproof bring wisdom. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Correct your son; he'll give you comfort. He'll also delight your soul. Proverbs 29:17. Have you ever seen this, moms, dads, with your own child? They've been getting a little bit of an attitude, and they're trying to see if they can cut some corners or do this or that, and and. You crack down, and there's a little bit of some confrontation, and then they have to be punished, and maybe they get a rebellious attitude, and you have to punish them and lecture them, and they have to get their spanking, and they have to make their apologies. And then afterwards, they're so much happier. When, the, when you're letting them get away with disrespectful attitudes, are they happy? But when you discipline them correctly and calmly and in love, Afterwards, what are they? So much happier. Romans chapter 12 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We've got too many people listening to the standards of the world instead of the word. Uh, I'm not going to take time to give some examples here. You've all seen this. Uh, but I, I will give one. I remember one four-year-old whose parents, one of them had read a book, saying, don't discipline your child, you know, let them do what they want, et cetera. It was a miserable situation. I lived near this family. And one day, and I, this is sad, four is about my favorite age. I just love four-year-olds. How can you not enjoy, you know, a well-trained four-year-old, a happy four-year-old? This wasn't a happy four-year-old, a well-trained four-year-old. i give you one example. He comes to my home. He opens the door. He stands there. The front of his overalls are soaked, and the back of his overalls are brown. And he says, I don't have to use the bathroom. That's another form of child abuse, refusing to discipline and train a child. What a horrible thing to do to a child. Mistake number two, rewarding misbehavior. You ever seen parents reward misbehavior? At first you might think, well, no, who would do that? You know, here, son, here's five bucks, go kick grandma. Nobody would do that. But they do reward misbehavior all the time. Why do children throw tantrums? to get what they want. They're in the grocery store and they want, you know, you know, I want some sugar booms, I want some sugar booms. No, 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 we're not going to get that. I want it, I want it, I want it. No, we're not going to get that. But I want some sugar booms. And it, you're embarrassing mommy. That's exactly what he intends to do. He knows what he wants to get and when you said no, 
he's getting louder and louder, and now the other people are looking, and the mother's going, oh, I- I'm sorry, you know, uh, we're not, not going to get that. You just wait till I get, no, no, no. And he's, ah! he starts yelling and screaming and kicking, and he's trying to say, I, I don't. You know why? You remember, what was it, about two years ago, the Somali pirates? Was anybody else here surprised that we still had pirates? You know, I kind of thought that pirates were passe. How on earth, in the modern world, did we have pirates? If you follow the news at all, you know why we had pirates. They were being rewarded for their misbehavior. They would capture a ship, and then the shipping company or the country for the ship would pay them a ransom to get the ship or the goods or the people back. Guess what that did? It encouraged piracy. The reason pirates did that was because the extortion was paying off, and that just encourages it. Don't reward misbehavior. Letting a child get his way is not doing him a favor. It will spoil him. Letting a child get his way will not satisfy him. It will spoil him. I heard a story. I was talking on this subject down in Birmingham, and I told a story, and I said, this probably isn't true. I thought it was just one of those legends. And later I found out, I was teaching uh, somewhere else here in Tennessee, and uh, Sarah Bain Bunning was there. said, no, that is true. My husband saw that happen. He's the one that saw it and told the story. And uh, Brother Bunning was at a, this is years ago, I guess probably the 50s, maybe early 60s. He's down in Florida, and there's a family, and he's staying with them, and they've got this little child that's just a tyrant, terribly misbehaved, just going around, you know, pulling the curtains off the wall. Everything's a mess. And the child's sitting, and they're making some eggs, and the child says, I don't want eggs. And they said, well, what do you want? And he said, I want a worm. So the parent went outside and found a worm, and they brought it in. So I said, I want it cooked. So they put it in the skillet, and they cooked the worm. Then he said, I want it cut in half, maybe it was the next stage. And they said, I want you to eat half. And then the parent ate their half of the worm. And then the child decided... He didn't want his or her. I'm not sure who is the least mature person in that arrangement there, the parent or the child. Does spoiling a child make a child happy? There was an experiment done with a playground. They studied a playground in a busy city. You know, you've got trucks, buses and stuff, and, and, and people there walking. Here's the playground, there was no fence. And they noticed that the children congregated, you know, around the center of the playground. You put up a fence, and guess where the children played? All over the playground. Why? Now they felt safe. Now they know where their boundaries are. They know other people can't get in, they know where they can go, and now they felt comfortable. Children need boundaries. Probably some, a number of you have had children in your homes that come from a home where there aren't boundaries or there aren't rules or there's people that lose their temper and the boundaries are constantly changing. One day you can get away with misbehavior and the next day you're abused just because you had an, an accident with something. And when they've been in your home and it's calm and it's cool and there are rules... They enjoy those boundaries, don't they? And they feel secure. Children need that. The difference between a boy and a pig is that if you give both of them everything they want, you'll have a really, really tasty pig and a really, really bad boy. The Bible says, a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother, Proverbs 29, 15. Mistake number three, expecting misbehavior. This is different from rewarding misbehavior. This is just expecting it. How many times have you ever heard people say things like this? Oh, we can't take him to the restaurant. Well, there's no way Junior's going to sit still for an hour. Well, after all that sugar, he's going to be impossible. I want want to say a word about sugar. Different foods do affect different people differently. Some people have allergies and different things. And some people need to be on a certain diet, not to eat a certain thing. But this has gotten a lot more play. 
for one thing, who hears mom say, oh, after that, all that sugar, no way will I be able to control it. Well, he heard that. But you have been around children that have been trained in discipline at birthday parties, and you have seen them eat ice cream and drink punch and eat birthday cake with inordinate amounts of icing. And that's really a bad combination if you think about it, punch and ice cream and cake. And those children will play and have a good time and be loud and sing and play the games and have a good time and maybe a little disappointed when it's time to go, but then when they're told to clean up the things, they'll do it. And they won't destroy the home in the process. Sugar gives energy. That doesn't mean gasoline is your car energy. You don't go down here to the Shell station and then go down Main Street at 100 miles an hour and an officer pulls you over and he says, you're going home. Well, after all that gasoline, you know. That doesn't mean there's not a responsibility to control our behavior. And if a particular child also has a sensitivity or an allergy in something, then a smart person, a parent, is going to realize that. But I'm talking about this attitude of just neglecting training and attributing everything to, to everything else. Oh, I'll never get him to eat that. Sorry, my son's not much of a share. It's not your job to see all these things wrong with your child and then assume that's the way it's going to be. It's your job to train him, to train her. That's our job. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from it. Number four, failing to be consistent. And this is a big one. And for all you parents out there, we know this is a big one. This is a challenge. The Bible says, he who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him how? Diligently. Not disciplines him when he has time. Disciplines him when he's in the mood to discipline him. Disciplines him when other people see it. Have you ever seen those moms that say that? Oh, I don't know why he's acting this way. He never does this at home. Don't just discipline when other people are looking. He who loves a child disciplines him diligently. Once, a lot of child psychiatrists don't know what they're talking about. I, I was lecturing on this in Maryland. And one sister brought a friend whose husband is a child psychologist. He's one of the ones that I guess the government sent out to one of the schools. When, you remember that rash of school shootings we had some years ago? He was sent to one of those schools to deal with the kids after that because he's a child psychologist. She knows the family. He's got one child that's in complete rebellion, horrible relationship between her and her father, dressed in you know black, all goth, all that kind of thing. Just because somebody has a diploma about child psychology doesn't mean much at all. But one article I read was really pretty good. It said, children are like little gamblers. They will play the odds. I don't know if you have the lottery in Tennessee or not, but in, in Pennsylvania does, and I asked the fellow at the uh, gas station down at the end of the street, these people that come in here and play the lottery, how much will they spend on lottery tickets? He said like 50 bucks a week. 50 bucks a week. Why do you think they do that? This week, somebody in my town's going in there spending 50 bucks this week on lottery tickets. Why? Do they really, really think that this week they're going to win big? But they know they might. And so they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And when children think it might pay off to disbehave, misbehave, they'll keep doing it. You know what would stop lottery sales in Pennsylvania? The odds are already against you. I mean, if you just do the math, somebody said that the lottery is a tax for people that don't understand math. I think it's about right. But if you change it from not likely to absolutely not, it would change. If the state of Pennsylvania announced we got budget shortcuts, from now on, nobody gets any payments at all, zero. You don't win $23 million, you don't win 1000 you don't win a dollar. But you can still scratch off the numbers. How many lottery tickets would be sold? Because of change. You know when children start obeying? 
when they find out the lottery is closed. Not, it's closed when dad's in this mood or mom's in that mood or when, when the lottery's closed, then it works. Um, let me give an example from parking tickets. Do you have an area here in town, a historic area, maybe where there's no parking? Boston, Massachusetts, a very old city, very narrow streets, tourist city, a lot of important historical sites, lots of places where you can't park. Washington, D.C., they'll move your car. I mean, a place where it's legal to park at one time a day, a few hours later, it's not, and they'll just move your car. What would it work like if a town had a no-parking area, and instead of enforcing it, it worked like this? The sign said, no parking, and everybody knows the system. It works like this. If you park there, after 10 minutes, you will get a ticket that says, I asked you not to park here. After 20 minutes, you'll get another ticket that said, did you hear me? I asked you not to park here. After 30 minutes, you'll get another ticket that says, I really mean it. Don't park here. Then after 40 minutes, you get a yellow ticket that says, don't make me tell you again. Then an orange one that says, I'm going to start counting to 10. And after an hour, okay, you get it. Here's your parking ticket, 50 bucks. What would that area look like? You know what it would look like? It would be full of cars parked there with green and blue and yellow and orange tickets all over there. I was talking about this over in Nebraska, and a fellow talked about an occasion he remembered. The little girl, little four-year-old girl, I think her name was Emmy Elizabeth, uh, was upstairs, and the mother was downstairs, and she calls her, Emily, come here. And she just keeps playing. Emily, come here. She keeps playing. And finally she goes, Emily Elizabeth, middle name, come here. And the aunt said, Emily, don't you hear your mother? And she goes, she'll call me three more times. Be consistent. Number five, thinking, I don't have time. You know what? God gave you a lot of time. And that time goes pretty quick. Those of you who are children of grown realize that that time does go. Saying, I don't have time to deal with misbehavior is like saying, I don't have time to get rid of lice. One of your children comes in and says, Mom, I've got lice. What mother says, oh, we'll, wor we'll worry about that next year. you got to get done now. Child training time is well-invested time, saves time. Hebrews 12, all discipline for the moment seems not joyful but sorrowful, yet afterwards it yields peaceful fruit. Discipline diligently. Take the time. Teach them to do right. Train them to do right. Expect them to do right. Number six, mistaking parenting for paying a child daycare bill. We have begun an experiment in this country of assuming that children don't really need to spend that much time with their parents and that both parents can devote themselves to working and working overtime and, and working full time and, and beyond and just pay somebody else to take care of that child. Don't be surprised if when you get inconvenient, you know, if, if we look at our children, oh, it's inconvenient having you around. I'm going to put you in a place where there's other people your age and I'll pay somebody, you know, of, of sometimes questionable skills to take care of you. Don't be surprised when as generation changes, the time comes that they look at you and they say, you're inconvenient. I'm going to put you in a place with other people your age and some stranger will take care of you. I'd like to recommend, th this statement in this is not entirely true. It's just, just the name of the website, daycaresdontcare.org. And on there you can go and you can find statement after statement after statement after statement after statement from people that work in daycares telling you why they would never put their child in a daycare. I was talking with a lady I know that runs one just last night, and she really does try to do a good job, and she really cares about her kids. And some of the moms she has don't. She insists on meeting the parent. And they say, what, do I have to come for a meeting? They don't even care who they're leaving their child with. In that case, those kids are better off with this friend of mine than with the, for the parent. But it shouldn't be that way. And I asked her, I said, if you had a young child, would you ever put your child in daycare? She said, no. 
We've tried an experiment in this country, and there are horror stories. There, some daycares are much better than other ones. But bottom line is, you brought your child. And there are some cases where tragedies happen. There's death, disease, uh, abandonment, and things, and things are difficult. But when people just pursue their own material needs, don't raise their children, I'd encourage you to read some of the things on that side. Deuteronomy 6, day by day, we're to be training our children. Uh, Titus 2, women to be keepers at home, loving their children. Number seven, failing to control self. How can I train my child if I'm not in control myself? There's a lot of people that oppose spanking, and partly because the spanking that they remember from their childhood was not done out of love. It was an adult who was angry and venting their anger on a child. I want to give you a quick test here before we close. I want to try to make two more points before we close here. The proper motivation is love. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. There's a difference between the discipline and abuse. I heard a child expert one time being interviewed, and he was saying, the parent was saying, well, sometimes I'll tell my child, you know, like a two-year-old, no, no, if they're going to pick up something sharp. He said, and it's important to know that that's wrong. Somebody in the back of the auditorium said, my problem is I yell and scream at my kids. And he said, oh, we all yell and scream at our kids. I've got a three-year-old and a four-year-old. I thought, you know, if you think you can't discipline a child when they're going to pick up a knife, I guess you would end up yelling and screaming. Children don't need to be yelled and screamed at. They need to be trained. They need to be disciplined. They need to be loved. Don't say things like this. What's wrong with you? I don't know why you won't do right. What did you just tell that little guy? You just told him there's something wrong with you, and the adults don't know what it is. Don't take out your frustration on a child like that. He's looking to You're there to help him. Train that child. Take time with him. The vase test. I want you to imagine you got a vase in your house, and here's three quick scenarios. It's a vase from your great-great-great-grandmother or something. It's worth a lot of money. You can't replace it. You don't have a rule already about throwing a ball in the house. Junior comes in. He throws a ball. You look at him, and you say, Junior, don't throw the ball in the house. He looks at you. You know he heard you, and he throws the ball again. What do you do? Here's two different scenarios. He looks at you, he throws the ball again, and catches it. A lot of moms would say, Junior, I told you not to do that. Let's change it. He looks at you, throws the ball, it ricochets off the mantle, shatters the vase. Now does mom say, I told you not to do that. No, now mom goes ballistic. What changed? Well, he broke my vase. There's something in that room worth more than that vase, and that's the soul of your child. That is in trouble because he deliberately defied and disobeyed you, and he should be in trouble the first time. What if I go back there? We have a room where sometimes we play dodgeball and football in the house. If something breaks in that room, then do I have a right? Punish my child? No, I allowed it. If I say, here, throw me the ball, he throws me the ball and it breaks the vase. He shouldn't be in trouble. Don't discipline children because we're angry. It's something that doesn't go our way. Discipline children out of love. Be calm, consistent, and in control. Two or three minutes left. Training them to disrespect instructions given calmly. Think about that. Think about how many kids, it's like, it starts off, do this. I told you to do that, and then later, did you hear me? I said, do that, and then later, I mean, I want you to do that. And then finally, the parent's yelling and screaming, and then the child does it. And the mother goes, oh, why doesn't he obey? Because you've trained him to disrespect your calm voice. You've trained them to only pay attention when you scream. It works kind of like this. 
I don't recommend video games, but here's Junior playing a video game. Mom says, Junior, it's time to go to bed. Okay. Later. Junior, I mean it. Go to bed. Uh-huh. A few minutes later. Junior, are you still in there? I said go to bed. All right, all right, all right. Just a minute. A few minutes later. Junior, you have got to go to bed. All right, all right, all right. I will. Then she gets tied up. An hour later, she comes back in. Are you still in here? You've got to Now he puts it down and goes. He's trained to do what? To ignore her until she screams. She need, you know what I would recommend? Apologize to him. Say, I'm sorry I've been yelling and screaming at you. I'm going to stop yelling and screaming. He goes, cool. From now on, I tell you one time calmly, and if you don't do it, then you're going to be punished. You believe Junior's going to believe that? But if she does it tonight and the next night and the next night and the next night and the next night and the next night, calmly and firmly, guess what he's going to learn? Oh, I have to do it the first time. It's our choice. Do we want to have them never obey, obey after you scream, or after saying it over and over, or only on the, or on the first time in the calm instructions without yelling, nagging, and badgering? Thank you very much for your attention. And uh, if anybody has any questions on those cards, Greg will take care of that. Here's a good question. If you tell your child no, do you owe them an explanation? No. You might, as the parent, consider when it would be helpful or appropriate or understandable. But when you have a very small child doing something dangerous, they might not understand the explanation. If you have a small child trying to stick a fork in an electrical socket, you can tell them it would hurt them, but they don't understand why. But they need to understand no. I'm sure there have been children whose lives have been saved because a ball gets kicked or hit and they start to run towards the road and the parent sees a car, but they're too far away to grab the toddler and they yell, Jimmy, no! And he stops right in his tracks. And then she comes over there and gets him. She didn't have time. Jimmy, no, because there's a car coming about 40 miles an hour and it would hit you and splatter you. He needs to know. No. Now, other times, yeah, you can explain. Here's why. And as a child gets older, they can explain. Here's why this is so. Here's why this is so. But when God, in First Kings 13, when God told the prophet of Judah, don't eat there, don't drink there, come back a different way than you went, did he tell him why? If he did, it's not recorded. When God told Abraham, go to the land of Moriah, Moriah is only mentioned one other place in Scripture. In Jerusalem, the temple is built on Mount Moriah about a thousand years later. God tells Abraham, go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice your son, your only begotten son, your only beloved son. And he takes him there and he carries the wood that he's going to be sacrificed on. Did Abraham understand what all that meant? But as a man of faith, what did he do when his heavenly father told him to do something? He did it. So there's many times when you will want to explain to your child. But you have to train your child so that when you say no, they understand that it's no. And then if they say, Mommy, can you explain why it's that way? Then if they can understand it and you want to take time to do it, that's fine. And other times for their benefit you can do that. But it shouldn't be a bargaining issue. It shouldn't be, if you can give me a good enough reason to satisfy me, then I'll accept the prohibition. No, don't even let that idea get started. Any other questions coming in? Any other cards? Well, I don't know that that's why, but it's, uh, thank you for your attention.
you got to get this role. We got something like 40 kids from high school age and under at College View. This is one of them. Some of them are mine, my grandkids. And uh, so we need a lot of instruction from the Word of God about properly raising these children. It's such an important job. Uh, it can't be rated uh, in, in degree of importance. Nothing is more important than that. And so these lessons are important. Scott, next, tomorrow night is going to be about older child rearing and some of the pitfalls of when the kids get older. That's important, too, really important. We want you to come back. We're going to do the same thing tomorrow night, Lord willing, 7 o'clock here. Bring your lawn chair. Bring your Bible. Tell other people. Uh, we'd like to see even more folks come. Thanks to you who are visiting. Some have driven a good ways to be with us tonight. We appreciate you very much. Remember, it's not too late. If, you, if you'd like to get a copy of the audio or the video, sign a card. Tell us what you want. We'll try to get to you as quick as we can. Thanks for being here tonight. We're going to be dismissed with a word of prayer. We're going to ask Lord and me to come and lead us in a prayer. We'll be dismissed at the end of the prayer. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this opportunity you've given us to be together this evening, this beautiful evening you've blessed us with, for the opportunity to come and hear lessons from your word, instructions from your word about raising children, and we're thankful for Scott as he has come our way, and we ask that you bless him and continue to be with him and his work. We ask Father as parents, we're so thankful for the children we have, and uh, we count them as a blessing, and we ask, Father, that you would help us, and that we would study your word, and to learn more, uh, as he has brought points out this evening, of ways that we should discipline and correct our children from your word, and so thankful for that to God. Continue to be with us, Father, as we uh, will meet again tomorrow night. We're thankful for all that has come. We, we ask blessings upon those that uh, have traveled some distance, that you would be with them as they travel to their homes. Again, we're thankful, Father, for uh, the opportunity we have for this time. Thankful for your son, for your love toward us. Christ's name we pray. Amen.